Welcome to the Longest Stride podcast. Each week, we bring you engaging conversations with the global running community. We interview community builders and leaders and the incredible runners who inspire us all. We're by runners for runners. And now, here's your hosts, Jonathan Greenwald and Andre Morgan. Welcome to the Longest Stride podcast. Today on our show, we have a coach for our long-distance running service, Coach Stay. He's a two-time world record holder and now an Under Armour ambassador. Let's hear from our guest, Stefan Hetherington. Nailed it. Nice. Nice. That might be one of our shortest and sweetest intro there, Dre. Like, fast. Like, like stay fast. See, I, I also want to make sure you're able, stay is able to like carve out the conversation because yes. we could get into his record or just him being a coach. And we're I think we're going to touch all of that uh, on it, but we don't want to give away too much. I think that's what it is. I agree. You guys obviously did, uh, you did some good research there, but I mean, you get on Google, you can find anything you want. So probably oh, best yes. to pare down the introduction in case it's a big miss, right? Do you do, uh, do, you do alerts on your name for Google, Google alerts? <laughs> Only you. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Well, I had that. I won't lie. Um, I did. There's a baseball player that had my name. I still does, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he passed off, but yeah. I'm a cricket guy, I guess. I don't know. I'm Jamaican. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> but uh, before the banter, so you have to edit out all this, let's go get into it. So yeah. welcome, Stefan. Oh, we're going to call you, you Stefan. Yeah, just call me Stay. That's best. So you, there's a lot we're gonna, we want to talk to you about uh, coaching, running, records, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, think I got a lot I want to say, so it's good. Sorry. Do you? Oh, this is going to be great. <laughs> so any, we, rec- we record now uh, video and we use that for our reels, which is awesome. So anyone that uh, sees this reel coming up is going to see the, the record behind you and, and, and that costume, which, which we'll get into. But before we get down that path, stay, what was, uh, what was running like for you growing up? Uh, running for me growing up, oh my God, how much time do you guys have? I was a soccer player when I was younger. And like a lot of people, you know, you play one sport, you discover you have some sort of a talent uh, for running and then you sort of naturally make the transition. I think a lot of like swimmers and soccer players do that. But I was playing rep soccer, so at a decent level when I was like 14, 15, um, we had a super intense coach. Uh, his name was Antonio Freeman. Uh, intense enough that like, you know, when you're, practicing soccer and you know you're trying to control a loose ball and like the whole team is coming up behind you and it's like it's intense it's kind of nerve-wracking because you can't look and you're trying to corral the ball he would run up behind you big muscular dude he was a cop and he would like growl and bark as he was coming up behind you just to like freak you out on purpose so that when you got there in the game like you were good to go so this is a guy every time we made a mistake in practice it was like get on the line and run and it was like End line, six yard box, 18, center, other end and back, three, four times for practice, like as we were messing up. And I remember I started liking that because there was one other kid on the team. His name was Walter. And he beat me every time, but it was me and Walter every time. So whenever someone would mess up, it was like get on the line and me and Walter just be eyeing each other up, like trying to get close to each other, trying to like size each other up. And we would just race it every single time. And I liked that more than I liked the soccer practice and the game. So ended up joining Etobicoke Track and Field Club. And, you know, when you join, the girls are faster than you. And that was the case. Um, I don't know how, mu- how much further you want me to go here. There's so much more to say. I'm still only 15 years I wanna, old in this story, I want to so. know. This is what I want to know, Stay. This is what I want to know, Stay. Did you and Walter used to, like, 
like stage fights so you could run around the track? Uh-huh. <laughs> there was nothing like that. I don't think he liked it as much as I did, to be honest. He was just like a talented, tough kid. And I was just like, I want to beat this guy. So like I'd be doing runs at home. So the next time we went to practice and messed up, I could take Walter down. But I don't think it ever happened, to be honest. He always got me. But that's how you, you discovered you're, a sp- you're more into sprinting. You just enjoy that more. I, I used to be fast, like speedy. I can go long and forever now, like most of us can. But I remember getting it, like first getting into track, thinking like I'm really fast on the soccer field. So I'm probably going to be an 800 meter guy, maybe 400 meters. But like stepping onto the track against people who actually train for that, like that's a different event. Like that's a total beast in and of itself. I was terrible at the 800. And then I did pretty good in the 15. And I did really good in the three. And then I was good in the five. And I was like, okay, I think I might be a distance runner. The fact that you could hold it longer. Yeah. And Stay, did you grow up in, you grew up in Toronto? Is that where you ran track? I grew up in Etobicoke. And uh, I mean, my first experience with track formally uh, or cross country was at the Etobicoke Track and Field Club. I would have been in grade nine or grade 10. Definitely. No, grade nine. And have been sort of affiliated with the club ever since. I coached there. I ran there all through high school, came back after university, trained there for a little bit, helped to coach some of the athletes that were up and coming. Um, and still, I'm really close with the head coach there now. He's like, a, he's like a second father to me, to be honest. Yeah. And then were there any early successes you had once you've um, went into track and field? Yeah, it's funny. Yeah. Uh, like when you first get into it, I, I actually like compared to other people who were like being successful at like OFSA or nationals or those like more competitive races when you're younger. Like I was, I got competitive when I was like 16. So a lot of these guys were, you know, 13, 14 training hard and then doing well, like on the provincial scene or the national scene. But I was the guy who show up in like brand new clunky, new balance, the day of OFSA and like soccer shorts and just like, had some talent and, and did what I could. But once, once things started to like dial down a bit, uh, early in grade 10. So early in grade 10 was the first three K I ever ran. It was, I think the Etobicoke championships for school. Uh, and like, I used to battle with this one guy in high school. He might be listening. His name's Bart Van Bagel, but I ran, I won, I ran eight fifty seven, and I didn't know like what was a good time in the three K. So Later on, found out that's pretty good for like a first 3K. And then later that year, I'd also finished fourth, ran 844. And I was like, I you know, kind of just got started running. So those were pretty good, like pretty good lines in the sand for getting started and, and deciding like, all right, there's, there's something here. How far did you take it? So I took it, you know, I ran competitively all through high school. I went to St. I, I transferred schools. I went to St. Mike's. I ran for that team for my last two years. I was the last year to go to OAC. So I did grade 13, was really competitive then, had some decent offs and finishes, and then was very fortunate to get a scholarship to go run in the NCAA. Um, so I ran at Columbia University uh, in New York City, which is a great experience, tough from a running perspective. When I graduated from Columbia, I ran, uh, sort of call it sponsored by Brooks for a few years with the Brooks Canada Marathon Project. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with that initiative from back in the day. And then, you know, after that, I sort of took my own running into my own hands. So I was with Brooks for a few years. That's when I started coaching in the NCAA. So I moved down to a small town in Southern Alabama to take on this coaching job and actually met uh, an amazing guy who became my training partner, one of my best friends. 
And between the two of us, sort of post-collegiate, post-post-collegiate, we planned our training. We basically, like him and I basically ran the fastest times we'd ever run in every distance, um, just the two of us training in this small town in Southern Alabama. So I like I haven't competed in a long time. The last race I ran was a 1500 at Michigan State. I was 31, so six years ago. So that, I guess that's like a uh, an overview of how far I took it. That's amazing. And you touched on a few things and, and coaching and stuff before we, we, we talk about uh, any of that stuff. I, I just want to remark on how fascinating it is that you're playing soccer, you're playing competitive soccer, and there's this whole world that's about to open up to you that you don't even realize. When you're probably younger, before you're playing soccer, you're probably playing soccer when you're younger. You don't even realize the amount of success that you're going to have as a runner, which is something you weren't even thinking about. And then where it's going to take you, Columbia University, which, I mean, I grew up in New York and Columbia is a, an amazing law school, just an amazing school in general. And the other traveling you did in other parts of the States, it's, I, I love that. What, like, what did that mean to you when you realized at some point that your whole world is changing and, you know, these new opportunities are opening up? You know what? Like re realizing it is still happening, I think. Because you look back at everywhere you've been and everything you've done, and the picture is just getting clearer and clearer. So in the moment, it's like one day to the next. And like, how could I know that, you know, because there was this spark of ability and a change in direction in my athletic life that I would be traveling around the world and, and meeting all these different people and developing all these relationships that are like life-changing. And now I can look back and map things out, see where the turning points are and like give credit to people that I met who helped me look at things I did that hurt me, that moved me forward. It's, it's, I don't think it's something that you can sort of like realize in the moment. Um, but I think like when you're younger, you know, once you discover something that you're talented in, you start doing it, like you get a lot of praise. And so, you know, running, you think when you're, it's like, it's not super fun, you know, like going to practice, hammering out repeats, doing long runs. So like, it's fulfilling. Like we all know that. And when you're younger, I think you get not stuck in it, but you get attracted to it. Cause like not a lot of people have those abilities. So if you can show something special when you're younger, you get attention from your parents, from your friends, like you're different and you're winning and uh, you're like, you're getting a lot of praise. And I think early on, that's sort of what keeps people in the sport. And then as you grow into it, I think really like truly developing a passion for the sport in and of itself is what keeps people in it. So early on, like you don't appreciate everything you're going to learn and how much you're going to develop because of what you're going through. But um, if you have longevity, most of the time it's because like, you figure that out and you appreciate like what the sport is and you love it for, for what it is. Yeah. It's, it's totally amazing because here you are, there's a small percentage of individuals that's able to even get a scholarship to then go to university based on their talent and not uh, just ac academic achievements. And then you still went on there to see it right through because you could have you decided not to go there. And for you to even come back and just saying you're reflecting on it. No, it's like, it, it, it might've been a flash for you where you just pass, you know, no pun intended, but ultimately, no, you're looking at it like, yo, that's a big deal. Jonathan and I are just shaking our heads. Cause it's like, uh, you got a scholarship, you've, um, put numbers on the board, 
And yeah, I, I just do this now. And, and the fact that you mentioned you went to Alabama, where I guess you just went off the grid. Yeah, pretty much. And like, just to respond to what you're saying, I mean, I did. So I, you guys might know, I was a feature on, on Runners of the Six, like a while back. I reached out, I think it was Liv who, who wrote out my piece. And uh, like, she, you know, she sent me some questions and it's like, you know, give me a breakdown of like your running history and your running career and like what it meant to you and like key moments and stuff. And I had, I had never gone through that exercise and I had never sort of had a reason to like put pen to paper and to like prioritize things and to like take a step back and look at everything that I had done and everything I'd experienced. And it was hard. And it was like, it seems so like Mickey Mouse at the time, like, okay, cool. I'm going to fill this out. They're going to post whatever. I'm trying to get my name out there. Like this would be fun. But it was like, it was a bit of an emotional experience. I'm not going to lie. Cause I'm talking, I'm thinking about like wow. my coach that I'm still super close with now. He's like, I've known him for 20 years and all the different changes I had in my life, even not related to running from the beginning to the end. And like that exercise forced me to go through that, through the lens of like my running, which was like the most meaningful thing I've been doing. So it was, uh, it was a really interesting exercise to go through. I'm glad, I'm glad that I did it. Now I forgot you for your initial question. And Olivia was probably thinking, cause Olivia told, said like, you got to get this guy in a podcast and she must've seen the struggle trying to get all of your accolades into one Instagram post. Uh, she's like, nah, we got to get him on a podcast because there's no way you're going to be able to get all that into uh, into one caption. So we're glad yeah. that, that you got featured and we're, we're so glad that you're on a podcast. with. Well, speaking of accolades, like you guys just had Reed on a couple podcasts ago. No so like, deal. that's tough. That's like asking me to come on stage after Richard Pryor <laughs> on stage. And now you're talking about my accolades and Reed's just been on like a little bit of a sandbag there. But everyone has <laughs> their own story, right? Everyone yeah, has their own sure. story. You know, so we, we don't... Um, uh, change the weight based on who we're having a conversation with because uh, obviously we have to make sure we uh, speak to individuals of, as human first and then all the fluff will go away because sometimes just like you have um, things to say and share we want to make sure you're, you're able to speak that truth if we just come in this fan out on your accolades then <laughs> it gets lost right yeah but yeah for sure I bet Liv had no idea what she was getting into when she's like, oh, let me just ask you about your running career. I'm like, here's 12 pages. Good luck. <laughs> I was like, let me, let me just pull up this. You know what I mean? But the fact that this little, we, we consider it as very small Toronto blog that had you in just reflecting on your own career, like I actually did some things. But I, I, I believe you were probably just like, I'm just doing it to do it sake and never really reflect back. And that's probably what kept you ahead of your game. That's, that's how I went into it. Yeah, you're, you're totally right. You're totally right. You coached in the States, right? Was it in Alabama or somewhere else? Yeah. So when I finished up with Brooks, it was like um, 2000. I'm going to be terrible with years. And it's not going to add up at the end of this podcast. So for anyone who's keeping track. I want to say 2009 or 2010, finished up running with the Brooks Marathon Project. Always had a passion for coaching. I think it's natural for people who are competitive runners to want to stay in that space. And it's rare to be able to do it and to do it successfully with longevity. So I, I probably sent 100 letters to every Division One school I could think of that had a running program um, and ended up, you know, long story short, or maybe long story long, um, getting an offer to go coach at Troy University in Southern Alabama, which is a division one school 
um, but in a town of 6,000 people. And I'd been to Alabama on like training camps with the Tobacco track, but Alabama, I mean, I'm, we're going to talk about this, but Alabama's up. You might as well be in another country, man. Like small town. When school's in, there's 14,000 people in town. When it's out, there's 6,000. And uh, that, wow. that was an incredible experience. So I coached, I coached the men's and women's distance and cross country. So 800 meters up to 10,000, a great a great crew of people and an incredible experience, especially being in, in a place of the world where the focus is sprinting. Like we're down there competing with like LSU and Georgia tech and like these schools that are big on sprinting Florida state. Well, Florida state's an amazing distance school, but when you're in the South, like SEC, like that territory, it's all about football and it's all about sprinting. So I had to battle for my team and like I had to battle to recruit and it was an interesting experience, but uh, we did really well. Did you have any uh, anyone come out of that school that we would know? Uh, not that you would know. Most uh, most of the kids at Troy were local, uh, like in state. Okay. We recruited. We actually recruited a few directly from Kenya, though. So, like, we were in the game. Like, we oh, had wow. some good runners. Um, two girls came direct from Kenya. We had one guy on our team. His name is Enoch Enoch Karui, one of my favorite people ever. Nice. Uh, I showed up and like three days later he showed up and I was from Canada and he literally taken a plane from Nairobi to like Nairobi to like Paris to Atlanta to Troy, no, not to be can't fly to Troy, obviously uh, to Birmingham and then like drive down to Troy. And like, I picked him up at the airport and I was just like, well, welcome to the U S I'm Canadian. Welcome to the United States. You're in Alabama now. Like let's go to campus. And it was like one in the morning. And like, as a coach, in the NCAA, like it's super regulated. So like I could give him sheets. I could give him the shoes that we like, cause we had Adidas. I give him his shoes, but like this guy had the clothes on his back and like a suitcase with not much. And it's like, here's your dorm room. It's in the international building. I'm going to bed. Like, I'll see you tomorrow. Like, welcome. It was, it was intense. Uh, he was a tough kid. Wow. Uh, and a, a lot, I mean, we could do a whole podcast, just me talking about Enoch and, and his training and racing and stuff. But that was a cool experience more so for him probably than for me. Yeah. I had no idea they did that, but just to even get a little glimpse in that story and how that goes, as you said, that must've been a great experience for you to even go through it because you had no playbook. You're just like, Hey, I, I can't, I'm trying to build up to the story of how they're like, yeah, we have someone from Kenya coming and we, you know, you want a scholarship to be here and yeah. just go pick him up at the airport. And you're like, all right. <laughs> well, I don't know if you, are you guys familiar with uh, a runner? He went to Northern Arizona. Uh, I don't know if he still runs for Nike, Steven Sambu. No. Uh, Steven Sambu trained with Bernard Lagat and some of these big time runners. He was going to uh, a Juco in the States at the time, also direct from Kenya, super talented. We're talking like mid to high 13 minutes for 5K Juco. And we wanted him. So on JUCO, you go for two years and then you go to a four-year school afterwards. And if you're an athlete, obviously you have an advantage. We wanted Steven Sambu to come to Troy. So we found his brother in Kenya and said, come to Troy. Maybe your brother will come join you after. It's intense. Like the way they, like it's, uh, it's pretty cutthroat the way they intense, like, they, sorry, the way they recruit. It's pretty cutthroat the way they recruit. I mean, it's global now. So there's recruiters everywhere. There's services for finding athletes for NCAA schools in every country. Like there's websites with everybody's stats. Like you can find it, but you can't find 
deep into Africa. Like you got to go, you got to have connections. You got to have someone there that can tip you off on people. Typically it's like an uncle who knows and reaches out. There's a lot going on there. So the story of getting Enoch was trying to get his brother, Stephen and two years into Enoch, Stephen didn't come. He went to Northern Arizona, but we still had an awesome runner. Like Enoch was still our number one guy by far. So, so no loss there for sure. And you know what? I mean, I know you're competing with some of these big schools and it's always a challenge, right? I mean, the size of your school maybe versus, you know, another kind of division one big school, but as a coach, it's, it's got to give you so much pride and, and joy watching these athletes, these kids, we'll call them, right? First year coming at like red shirt, maybe freshman, whatever you want to call it, coming out and just giving it their all, putting their heart into it. And just as a coach, and you're probably not too much older than a lot of these athletes and just watching them grind and then thinking about what it was like for you to realize um, your talent coaching them must have been a real joy. That's just it. Yeah, I think you hit it on the head. Uh, interesting though, like not not everyone on call it like a scholarship in universities, like a hundred percent passionate about what they're doing. But there's like there's obviously your your key runners on the team, and it it definitely like you, what you're saying rings very true. And it caught me off guard a few times. Like you correspond with these people, you see them every day. You know what their goals are. Uh, you're with them at workouts, like you're doing everything together, right? They look up to you. And like you said, like, I'm not that much older than a lot of these guys and girls. And there's times where it might be like mid race and you know, like someone's on pace for a PB or someone's on pace to like, you're at the conference meet and they have no business running in that top five pack and they're there and they're there after 3k and they're still there after 4k and they're there at 6k. And you're like, this is happening. And you start to get chills like mid race and you're watching like your guy or girl come around that line and you know, they're having like the best race of their life, maybe the best day of their life at that point. And you kind of lose it. You're yelling and screaming and telling them push and like one more push, one more strike. And like, I've had that. I had a guy indoors 3k run like a 16 second PB or something like indoor season. And I'm screaming like, Jeremy, you got this, like one more lap, whatever you're going to run 830 or whatever it was. And he finished and I had to like excuse myself. I had to like go outside and like take a lap at like the warm up track. Cause I was like, I remember exactly what it feels like to have a big PB like that. Like, I gotta leave. I'll be back. Like, coach, like, oh, this is amazing. And I was like, I can't talk to you right now. Like, I gotta have my own moment. Like, go ahead and celebrate. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. That's a, the result of all your like coaching and you seeing it come to fruition after so many uh, actual training cycles because yeah. that's a stage. And it's one, th it's one thing as a coach to be able to help them, you know, apply the correct, practically apply the correct physiological like methodology. Like, okay, this is the workout you're going to do. This is why we're doing it. We're this far away from your race, whatever. And you, you guide them technically in that sense. That's one thing. It's another thing as a coach, which I think is like a, a less like understood value is, is being able to get buy-in and to get respect and to be able to relate to your athletes. Because not everyone, like if your only value is being able to tell someone what to do, if you don't have influence and they're not going to do it, like you're useless as a coach. So you have to make a connection with whoever you're working with. Otherwise, you're just words or you're just numbers on a page and it's not going to happen. So I think that like extra emotion comes from, you know, making that connection 
and, and working to have influence and, and, and to get to know someone and letting them get to know you so that you can actually have an impact on, on their running and on their life. Like we all have coaches that we remember, we look up to and, and think about, you know, how they helped us. So um, it's cool to be able to do the same thing. And you're putting that into practice because for every athlete you spoke about, you remember their name, possibly their time, and your the moments you 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 have a great memory. So you pull that out, and you're doing that. You're putting it into practice. Just what you're saying. Yeah, hundred percent. So when I so when I got to Troy the year before, the men's team and the women's team finished last in the conference at the cross country championships, and in the NCAA from one year to the next, like. The team doesn't change that much. Like we got Enoch, but other than that, the team was the same. The women's team was the same. The first year that I was there, they finished fifth in the conference, which tied the school's best finish ever. And like same team. So like, is it because I had them doing something different in their runs? Like, no, but like we got together as a team, we regrouped, we had awesome meetings. Like we came together as a group and had a collective goal and I was able to motivate them and influence them to think about their teammates and to do all the things that they need to do to get good. And they did, they all bought in and crushed it. And then the next year, the women's team finished fifth, which tied the best finish, was the best finish ever for Troy in conference history. And then the year I left, this is going to be mean. They both finished last. So that's my like testament to, to having an influence, right? Like it's not like I brought in all these new recruits. It's not like it did anything super special from like a technical standpoint, but uh, I'm proud to say that I think we created this environment where people wanted to be and where they wanted to win and where they wanted to win for each other. Um, And that was really the difference maker. So what did you, what did you leave? Did you come back to Toronto after that? Uh, So this is a bit of a saga. Maybe I'll tell you the whole story and just cut it out if you want. Go ahead. Uh, So in, I, I was applying to jobs to be a head coach somewhere else. So Okay. I, I landed the, the director of track and cross country job at the University of New Orleans. And this is 2011. Um, the school is just coming back. It was a while back. The school is just coming back from Hurricane Katrina, which I think is 2005. So school got decimated. So when I go to visit and to interview, I'm talking like overgrown grass, sidewalks are buckled, watermarks on the side of the school. Like they were just getting started again, but passionate, like ready to go. And they had money too. So I interview, I get the job. We had, so it was division two, but we had six full scholarships on the men's side to use and six full scholarships on the women's side. And you know how many people were on the team? Zero, because there wasn't a team. So I was like, I'm going to recruit my ass off. It's like, I know people in Kenya now. I know Canadians. I'm going to OFSA. I got full scholarships to give up. Like, And I looked at the conference and I was like, we'll win the conference in two years. I know who I can get and I know who we're competing against. So I, I was driving as a 1989 Ford Bronco two that I bought for 1250 bucks in Alabama. My favorite truck ever. I fill it with everything, everything I have. And I drive to new Orleans. I like, I'm telling like my vacuum cleaner was in the front seat, like on me. I had everything. (laughs) I get to new Orleans and like, I don't have a place to live, but like, I'm ready to get going. Uh, so I'm recruiting on campus. Like we needed a team stat cause it's the fall. And like, we need, we'd like to stay division two. You have to put a certain number of players on the field in every sport. So like, I'm going to like swim practice and being like, do you want to be on the team and soccer practice? Like we need you to run this race. So trying to put a team together. And when I was at Troy, so I was on a student visa cause I was a graduate assistant. 
So I was studying at the same time. I was doing my MBA while I was there. Uh, when I moved over to the University of New Orleans, like, hey, we got to switch you to a work visa. But while you're in between, you have no status. So you have to go home because you can't be in the United States without status. So, okay, they're like, nine days, you'll be back. Cool. Where do I put my car? Where do I put everything? So the equipment manager is like, put your car in my garage. And there's a storage locker place down the street. So great. I go, I put all my stuff in storage, put my car in his garage. He takes me to the airport and I fly home. Nine days, they're going to figure out my visa. So in that nine days, uh, the university fires their president. And the athletic director, she calls me. She's like, uh, everything's on pause until we hire a new president. Like, how long is that going to take? I don't know. It can take a while. Like, I don't know. It could take years to hire like a CEO of a big company. So like, I, I'm young. I don't really yeah, know this. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. okay. And she's telling me, you're my guy. You're my guy. Like, but we got to wait. I'm sorry. Like, we got to wait. So two months go by, three months go by, four months go by. I, I'm getting like a, I'm, I'm like working a job here in Toronto while I'm waiting for this to happen. She's emailing me, you're my guy. I'm saying, this is my dream job. Like I'm waiting. I'm not doing anything else. Like this is my dream job. Then it's next year. It's like January. And she emails me. New president came in, wants to go to division one. I didn't want to go to division one. Fired me, fired everyone athletics. They're rehiring everyone. Holy and you're out too. Holy crap. So I'm like at home, like I'm like square one. I'm like at home at my parents thinking I had my dream job. Now I've got nothing. Yeah. So I'm like, what do I do? It's been wow. like seven, eight months. So I go on like the saddest trip known to mankind to go get my car and go get my stuff and like come home and start fresh. So I'm like, I had to take a couple of days off work. I've been working this like random marketing job that my buddy helped me get just like a total imposter, you know, trying to work an office job when really I should be in Louisiana, like coaching these kids. So I do like a Thursday to Sunday. It's like, okay, what's the plan? Like I'm not driving that truck all the way back to Toronto with all my stuff. Like I need a U-Haul. Like it's a, it's a whole logistic thing. So plan is like fly down Thursday. I'm going to the equipment manager's house, getting my truck. There's a U-Haul place around the corner. They will, they will attach a, a trailer hook onto your car. They'll drill it into your frame, set you up, rented a trailer. So then I'm going to go to my locker, fill all my stuff. Then I'm driving to Alabama that night. It's six hours. I got buddies in Troy. I'm going to stay in Alabama. So that's one day. Fly down, get the truck, get it installed, fill it up, drive to Alabama. As soon as I land, I get to my truck and I turn it on. And the thing had been sitting in the dampest country, in the, in the dampest city of the, in the world for seven, eight months. It sounded like just rust, like rakes, just like it's, I, it was just heartbreaking. Oh, no. It worked. I back it out. It sounded like I was dragging rakes. I'm like, oh my God, something's up with my truck, which is from 1989. I'm about to drive it back to Toronto. It's 21 hours. So I'm having second thoughts already. I get the truck. I go to U-Haul, get it installed. We go to the storage locker. I fill it up with my stuff and I take off for Troy. And the truck sounds like hell. Like every time I go to shift gears, I get the stick shift. It's like, squeaking, I don't know, like the squeaking. whole thing. Yeah, squeaking, scraping, just rusty, terrible. So I make it to Troy and obviously my buddies are waiting for me there. So there's a campfire. We do our thing. And look, whatever, we have a wild night, meet some buddies. I wake up the next morning. I'm a disaster, as you can imagine. I don't know where my shoes are. I smell like the campfire. We had a great night. So, okay, I got to get back to my other buddy's place. So get my car, 
drive to his place. That's where I left the U-Haul. You better turn it on, no problem. Still know where my shoes are. I'm going. I don't care. I'm barefoot driving back to my buddy's place. <laughs> <laughs> so I just got to get out of here. I need some water, right? So I take the car, turn on the highway, try to go into third gear, and just won't go. And clutches all the way down, won't go. I'm on the highway, and it won't go in gear at all. So I coast into a Sonic, you know, this depressing place where you can get hot dogs brought out to the car if you order yes, them. Yeah. Mike. I'm in a Sonic, hungover, barefoot in my car. I, I The clutch had rusted out, and I didn't know. Dead. So I'm jobless, shoeless, carless, in a Sonic, hungover. It, I was, this is rock bottom. So I'm like, oh, my God, what do I do? I call my buddy. You got to tow, help, like, tow me back to your place. Fine. This is going to be a super long story. So you guys can No, go for it. No, I'm in for it. I'm picturing the whole thing. This is like, it's getting worse and worse. Oh, buddy. Yeah. So it gets, it gets worse. But, uh, so he's like, all right, I got a, a like a tow band. It's like this big uh, nylon band. He's like, I'm coming out. He's got a truck. So he pulls out this band. I go under my car. I hook it up to the frame. It's on his trailer hitch and I'm in my car and he's pulling me, but we only have like three feet of space. space yeah. So like, I'm trying not to break because the band is doing its thing and it's tugging and, and like trying to be smooth. But when he turns a corner, the two cor- like the front right, if he turns right, the front right of my car gets close to the back yeah. right of his car. It's like nerve wracking. We get halfway there and the band snaps. It's like, oh my God, we're in the middle of the street. So I'm like, whatever. I used to sail. I'm going to reef knot this thing. Fine, not sure it'll hold. Reef knot gets tighter the more you pull on it. But the band's half as long now. So we're like bumper to bumper. Trying to get back to his place. Finally, we get back to his place. And I'm just like, oh my God, this is like the worst day of my life. So basically, I need to regroup. My car is toast. And it's now Saturday. I got to work on Monday in Toronto. But I've got nothing. <laughs> like, I have nothing. So I'm like, what do I do? Yeah. So I, I need to. So here's the plan. I'm like, I'm selling this car here so I can afford to rent a car to get home. But I have the U-Haul. So, and it's full of my stuff and I got to rent a car with a U-Haul. Like it's going to be the most expensive endeavor ever. So I'm like, I need to basically purge my stuff, rent a one-way car, bite the bullet, try to sell my truck to pay for the rental so I can get the hell out of here. So I put my truck on Craigslist, got a buyer, 1500 bucks for the truck. I got the rental one way to Toronto, like 1100 bucks or something like that. And then I had all my stuff. We empty the U-Haul on my buddy's front lawn. All my 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 all my possessions, my life on his front lawn. Mm. And I realize I don't have much. I'm talking like frisbees, microwaves, nonsense. Like we gotta purge this. So all the stuff that I wanted, like awards, like stuff that's meaningful that I need, right? Mm. Yeah. Stuff it in this Jeep that I got. So I got the Jeep. So I'm st- we're stuffing the Jeep. And then there's all this leftover stuff. So we gotta get rid of it. So I called everyone from the team, all the track runners, the guys, say, guys, come take yeah, all my on. stuff, like just have your way with like the rest of my life. And these vultures yeah. came down so quick and just fished through all my That's stuff. Awesome, yeah. So got rid of that. Now my car is full. Uh, I beeline back to Toronto straight 21 hours. I think I slept for like two and a half hours. Got back Sunday afternoon wow. and went to work on Monday and started my life again and started my life again. So that's the, that's the long story of how my NCAA coaching career ended. Oh man. You need to put this in a book. 
No, but that's a that's a jokes aside. No, the seriously. story itself is like what happened. You know what I mean? But, but yeah, like, New Orleans was already far fetched. I was done, and like even that is an experience that I can look back on now and be like, everything happens for a reason. I'm okay with it because I love where I'm at now. I love what I'm doing. I don't think I could be happier. And who knows what would have happened if I stayed in New Orleans? It sounds on it sounds like it would have been great because I don't know what would have actually happened. But like. I don't know. So you go to New Orleans and uh, you get the head coaching job for 34 grand a year. And then if you're lucky in 10 years, you're making 40. And uh, like, it's, it's not the best life for a young kid. Like I was 27, 28. Uh, Well, so it's cool then, but. So so it happened for you then. Yeah. Like the in-between stuff wasn't necessary to happen to you at all. (laughs) Like that was, that was a curse on top of curse. (laughs) The the, the job itself might've, might've been like just, just randomness that's happening there where yeah. you know as you said you love the vehicle so you chose to to have your, your like dream truck but um yeah it, it's that's just like a mini story in itself because yeah, i'm picturing dude. the whole thing because those interstate highways aren't joke you can't just like oh something's happened and let me no just way. pull over <laughs> it's scary no. man well, if it didn't happen i wouldn't have the story so i could be thankful for that i guess oh man I bet you cherish everything now. <laughs> it's like, uh, I'll make sure I cherish everything. Well, stay. So yeah. that was 2011, right? Yeah. Okay. A year yeah, later, a, yeah. a year later, you're dressed like Flash, crushing the Scotia Marathon, breaking Guinness records. Please, please tell yeah. us how you got there a year later. It's like months later. So Months later. Uh, as, as you know, pick up where I left off on the story. I'm at rock, I'm at rock bottom, right? I got nothing to lose. So uh, yeah, I thought whatever. I pick up the pieces. I was fine. Start like get a job in Toronto, but I'm not, it's like summer now. Like I'm not training. I'm not like, I'm not motivated. I just, you know, I'm trying to figure things out. Right. So it's August, then it's September. And the buddy that I was talking about that I trained with in Alabama is a legit marathoner. He's a 218 guy and he's English. So for the longest, I'm not sure how long it went on, but at Toronto Marathon, they do like a three-way championship, England versus USA versus Canada. I don't know if you guys knew this. And England picks top guys. The U.S. sends some guys in Canada as a team. Like Eric and Reed would have been on the Canadian team. And so the UK Athletics calls my buddy in Alabama because he had just run 220 in Georgia somewhere off of our training. And they say, do you want to be on the team to go to Scotiabank in Toronto? And he's like, my buddy just got kicked out of the country. So I'm going to go visit him for sure. I'm on the team. So he's representing the UK and calls me to tell me, Hey, like I'm coming up to Toronto. He's like, and I heard that for the first year ever, they're giving up these world records. And I'm like, I don't care at all. He's like, you don't get it. It would be hilarious. He's like, there's one guy dressed as a carrot. There's a guy in a dressed as a bottle. Like you should just do it. I'm going to run. You'll be in the race dressed as whatever. I'm just like, I'm not doing that. Like, there's no chance. So <laughs> finally, he's like, he, he just, he rips into me. I'm like, all right, I'll do it. Fine, I'll do it. You come up here, you do your thing, and I'll do my thing. I'll dress up. I'll get a world record. All right? I need to pick me up, right? So it's a little late in the process. Like, it's early, it's, it's mid-September. So we got like, what, a month to go until Scotiabank. And I'm, I'm like, not even, like, yeah, I haven't been doing much. So I'm like, whatever, I can... I can put on a spot costume or whatever and run four hours. Like, no problem. I'll get a world record. So I basically, you had to register. They were giving specific records up. And one of them was uh, fastest T2 
TV character. Like, so it was, it was like vegetable bottle and TV <laughs> character. Those are the three records that they had available at Scotiabank. So I'm like, all right, I'll go TV character. So I go to the costume store. It's like a Halloween store just off like the gardener down here. I'm like looking around. I'm like, I don't know. And I see the flash costume. I'm like, that's perfect. He's got a TV show. Perfect flash. Buy it. Like Halloween store flash costume, bring it home, get on with Guinness book. I had to like send them results and stuff. They let me in late. I had to be like, Hey, like I'm legit. Like, let me in. I'm going to break the record. Let me dress as the flash. So like, okay, we just need to certify the costume. So I, it's like, there's a process. I had to send them pictures of the costume and they come back to me and they're like, look, because the TV character world record was like three, I don't know, three fifty or three Oh nine, something like that. I was like, I could do that. So I send them and they're like this. It, yes. The flash has a TV show. But this is this would fall into the category of superhero, fastest marathon run dressed as a superhero. I'm like, oh, they're like, you can either go get a new costume or like, if you want, we'll let you go after that record. I'm like, okay, what's that record? Can't be anything crazy. Two thirty five, two thirty five, uh, no, two thirty four fifty six. I'm buy like, a costume, man. <laughs> I'm like, I've been on my ass all summer doing nothing. I know. I was like, I don't know where to get yeah. a carrot costume. So I'm like, okay, I got four weeks. I'm sitting here with like a plate of chicken fingers trying to make the decision. Like, all right, (laughs) I'll give it a go. They're like, okay, you're in. So I got four weeks. So I like, I start running, right? There's not much you can do with four weeks. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to put up a quick, I'm going to raise money for a Topo track and field club. So I put up a quick website, start fundraising. At the end of the day, like I think two grand or I think we raised two grand. uh, And I was able to obviously... I was able to donate that back to the club. Super random. Uh, oh, you know what? Sorry. That was in 2012. We're still in 2011 here. So 2011, I get on my costume, get it certified, go to the race. I know what I need to run. 234.56 is like three, 341 or something per K. I'm like, okay, I've done this before. I'm just going to start running that pace and see what happens. I'm like, I'm on pace. So I'm like 340, 340, 340, 339, 338, 338. Then I'm at 20K. Then I'm at 24K. I'm still on pace. I'm like, I'm in like 20th place in the marathon in my like Halloween costume. People are going nuts. It's awesome. And I'm still hitting 340, 339, 337. And I'm at like 32K. I'm like, oh my God, this is going to happen, you know? But I like, I wasn't, I like, I wasn't fit to be running a marathon even at that pace. So I want to say like, I was on until... It's been a while since I told this story, but I was on until like 38K. And then 38, I looked at my watch. It was like 409. And I was just like, what was that? Must have been a glitch. The next one was like, next one was like 420. And I was like, I think I might've just eaten into my buffer because I've been saving two or three seconds every (laughs) kilometer. And I'm like, and then I'm like real tired trying to do my math. Like, yeah, right. And I'm like, I think, I think I'm Um, on. Yeah, it's a delusional. And I'm like, oh my God, I, I need to like dial in for the last, I just need to dial in. I think I'm even, I need to just stay on pace. And I'm at like 40, 40 and a half, 41. And I look at my watch and you know, when you're coming up Queen Street and you get to is it like the uh, bay and you make a right and, the, and yep. like mm-hmm. you make a right, then you come up in the finish line up there. Up. Yeah. So I'm like, I look at my watch. I'm like, this finish line better be right around that corner or I'm not going to make it. It was like <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was like 2.34.01. And I come around the corner and I'm just like, oh, come on. So I finished 2.35.08, 12 seconds off. I missed. I missed the world record by 12 seconds. All my friends are there. Did you get it? Did you get it? I'm like, 
no, I missed by 12 seconds and like, I'm not feeling too good about it, to be honest. <laughs> it's still just so fast still with oh regardless of your training and stuff. But oh, I, I, as you said, it's like you hear the crowd just cheering you on and you're like, yo, let's just go. Yep. <laughs> and then he finishes and he <laughs> says, he finishes and he says, I should have picked the celery. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Like a little less barbecue sauce three weeks ago would have helped. But let me, but, oh, but hang on a second. Okay, so what was your, what, were your, what was your, mar- you ran a marathon before that, right? What was your marathon time before that? I, I never banged out a good one, to be honest. When I was with Brooks, we went down to, um, uh, where were we? We were in Florida, Gainesville, um, classic Gainesville, ran a marathon for practice, Gainesville Marathon, and two of us ran 228. That's oh. like a pace run. It was hard for me, but like, you know, that was like a controlled. So we ran 228. Yeah. That's the best I've ever done, but I've never, I've never really wound up and, and sort of hit one out of the park. So I'm embarrassed. Wow. Oh, I'm, oh my God. I think it's levels to it, man. Because from <laughs> yeah. the way you're putting it, it's like us know, like, oh, I trained, so I should be this. And you've started comparing yourself with your buddy that you were in um, Alabama with. But, you know, from that alone, you have a different idea on what your top number should be and what you think you could, could achieve. And I think that's why you're saying, yo, that's not my top, but that's fast. You're top 20 in a costume. Like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And like, as I grow, like, uh, running accomplishments to me become more less about like time and, and time trialing and putting marks down and more about, to be honest, like wins championships and who are you beating mm-hmm. and, and things yeah. like that. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm not, I say I'm embarrassed by it, but no, whatever. Tell us about that, that, um, that internal. So the fact that you mentioned that there are countries that compete at Scotia that I, we weren't privy of. So it's almost like an underground thing or is it something that we just, don't take it pay attention to i think maybe you guys i think maybe you guys didn't pay attention and i never did either to be honest i never knew until he was like he's like i'm on the team and i think it was i think it was uh reed eric and rob watson for the canadian mm-hmm. team like i don't like give me a better marathon give me three better marathon runners in canada in yeah. 2011 right mm-hmm. uh and then you know my buddy had run 218 and then there's a like from the english team a couple guys who run 222 and 221 or something like that and then from the U.S., yeah, the U.S. sends up somebody, um, like legit runners, like guys who've run 212, 214. So it's, it's a nice little, I think it's three per team, something like that. And they do it like cross country, like you add up your place and it's a, it's a little mini, like three-way country thing. It makes sense. Yeah. It's like uh, the Olympics, but in a little mini five, because if yeah. you think about it, you just mentioned the three top uh, marathoners and if they do the same thing every year, where's the competition? You know, it's just like, it's the same people that's actually yeah. at the top, but to then make it international like that, I'm sure that's what created that uh, sub, you know, event. Yeah. I think it was those guys. If they're listening and it wasn't that, I apologize. I think it was you guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're, they're all, they're all great people. They're good. Yeah. So stay a year later, you took another crack at it. A year later. Yeah. I guess I didn't actually get to the, to the actual world record. Um, year later, it was like, all right, well, I, I can't live being 12 seconds off the world record. The cool thing is about that world record is out of the goofy marathon world records and costumes, that was the fastest one. So like it was held by Spider-Man before me, but it's, it's, it's an okay time. Like, as you know, the rest of them are fun, dress up like full fireman outfit or hockey player, like full gear and run six hours, which is uh, like obviously extremely difficult. That's hard. But fastest marathon dressed as a superhero is like the fastest costumed record. 
so yeah, the next year I come back, uh, I train, I actually got a couple sponsors and this is the year that I had the time to put up a site and raise money for a Tokyo track. So, uh, a decent build up. And I think, oh man, I think I ran two thirty three something that year. Yeah. And actually got the record. 58. Yeah. So that's so awesome. Amazing. So and the, the, the cool thing too is like, so the year, like the year before I have this bootleg costume, which was just like brutal. So, and before in 2011, I did a test run in the costume before running the marathon and like, you know, we're, we're runners, we're tall. Like the thing wasn't long enough for me. So the crotch was like right up, like right, like the, like the torso wasn't long enough basically. So it was like right up on my crotch. So actually after this test run brought it home, gave it to my mom, who's an incredible seamstress, and she added in a band like around the stomach to drop the legs so that it wouldn't be like rubbing. But still, like, still not the most comfortable. My mom also sewed in a pouch in like the inside, like a bat belt that she made for me. So I had like gels and stuff in it. So all that like testing we brought into the next year. I get like a full lycra spandex suit. Um, I get some sponsors that helped out. We got branded up, kind of looked like a NASCAR racer running down uh, running down the street That's dope. Uh, and, and yeah, I had the pouch. So I had my gels, I was ready to go. Um, and, and everything was on point. So I was able to sort of just like cruise to that and enjoy it and actually get the record that year. And yeah, like I said, I think, I think we raised almost two grand for a topical track. So that was cool to be able to hand over that's to a, my, my life. So awesome. Yes. That's awesome. Cause then you came back with like a new suit and then made it <laughs> optimal. And yeah. did you have to get that regulated again, or are they just like, oh no, you were in last year, so the suit didn't have to. Be, uh, Guinness had to take pictures of that at one uh, that new costume, I guess. No, you have to. You have to meet them before the race. So that same year was the year that that uh, the Canadian guy broke the record for dressed in a full full hockey gear, and so mm-hmm. the two of us had to meet the adjudicator. We met at Young and Dundas Square, I remember, and he checked it out, and like they give you the green light. And then you go to the start line and do your thing. So yeah, yeah, they yeah. keep it tight. Can I just, um, what you described today, now you know what Spider-Man had to go through. So when he first realized <laughs> that he had those abilities, he put like a bed yeah. sheet together with like this like pillowcase and he's like yeah. trying to fight crime. He's like, nah, this is, this is childish. Yeah. I can't do this. And he come. went out and he like put the suit it's like together. Real life. It's like I real remember. life. And he put the suit together and then, and then he became like, like a tight, like fitted, this, you, you actually realize what Spider-Man had to go through. And it's, fascinating. <laughs> it's funny when yeah. you look back at pictures from 2011 and I'm in that bootleg costume, like you can see, I have like full cheeks. Like I'm not in shape. I'm like, I'm like <laughs> bursting <laughs> out of the costume. Compared like, to what you, yeah. What you see yeah. yourself as before. It's yeah. So no, funny. So funny. Yeah, uh, yeah. Excuse me. But then cranks out like a 234 marathon. Okay. I know, right? I was like, yeah, I think I was too slow then. So for anyone that hasn't um, thought of what other um, actual Guinness World Records there have been, they've been backward inline skates, there's been barefoot marathon, uh, straight jacket, uh, fastest straight jacket. Um, But yeah, so, so... this is just one of the many categories, but I had no idea they created a category. I assumed that you created your own category and you're able to just kind of submit it. Yeah, I mean, the way it was when I did it is they, they were preset. And I don't, I maybe at this point you can submit, you know, and get a ultra creative and, and they might accept it or not. I'm not sure. But yeah, when I did it, um, those were the categories. But you didn't uh, stay, you didn't retire the suit because two years later, 
you put it back on again. Two years later, it was a bit of a repeat of 2011, except was I it? had the, the spandex. So <laughs> again, like I kind of just, I, I wasn't in like a competitive like mindset for a couple of years, right? And uh, I, I'm in like this normal marketing job. Things are going well. You know, I'm kind of staying in shape. I'm running, I'm lifting, I'm doing whatever. And the Scotia Bank is coming up. And people in my company knew about my flash record. So kind of my claim to fame or whatever. I think it's obviously on my resume. So one of the guys that I worked with was doing some work with a charity called Hands Across the Nations. And they uh, were doing the charity challenge. So they were all running like the 5K and the half at Scotiabank, had registered for the charity challenge, uh, building profiles, crowdfunding, trying to raise money. And their goal, so basically they do infrastructure projects in Mali in West Africa. Uh, they're trying to build a hospital out there. So my buddy at work say, hey, we're all signed up for the 5K. I know you have a rich history in costumed racing and raising money. He's like, how about strapping it back on again and helping us, you know, pursue this good cause? And I was just like, all right, here we go again. So I ran the half. I was like, great, I'll do the half. Because, like, again, you're giving me three, four weeks here to get my act together. Do the half. So, you know, I've got contacts at Guinness Book now because I've done it twice. So I reach out. Hey, like, the record doesn't exist. <laughs> we'll do again? We're going to let you set. Yeah. They're like, okay, here he comes again. Like, the record doesn't exist, so we'll let you set it. So as long as you run, I can't remember what that. I think they said as long as you run 140 or something like that. It was, I don't remember what it was, 130 or something. We'll give you the record. So I had the costume, set up a profile, and we crushed it in the fundraising. We raised over thirty grand uh, in twenty fourteen. Amazing. They were looking for sixty That's so to do amazing. their project, and they killed it. Like small thing, I think it was like maybe ten or twelve people on the team. I, like I was the face of it. Call me the face of it. Uh, and they pumped out over thirty grand. And I think I ran seventy seven one seventeen thirty or something like that. I told them I was going to run one seventeen thirty, and I ran one seventeen thirty, and it was not fun. Which is a slower pace than when I ran the full. So like, yeah, well, it's okay. <laughs> Yeah. Everyone sees the flash coming down, the flash coming down. Everyone's like, look, it's the flash. And then someone goes, look, he's wearing a Timex watch. What's the deal with the Timex yeah. watch? <laughs> the time, I don't know. It's just what I had. I don't like, I wasn't thinking too much about it. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> I, I think thought I there was one. a story behind it. Oh, no, I don't think I oh had Oh my one. God. I was, I was, I was looking through your post and it was a Timex watch on there. Uh, I honestly, it might have been my mom's because I don't know if I had one to be honest. I was like, I, I'm like, I need a watch. Grab a watch and go. I was wow. like, how do you get the splits? Let me test out these splits to make sure I'm good to go, and then just go. That's so crazy. <laughs> I, mean, I have two watches. I, you just pull yeah. up with a time mix and and kill a record. That's ridiculous. <laughs> but you know, I so no. Sorry, I was gonna say it, it was funny coming back after a couple of years to run the half, and I always tell people that. You can credit me with making costumed record breaking popular because when I showed up at the start line, when I'm at, when I'm at like city hall there, Guinness book had it set up and there was like six or seven mm -hmm. people there trying to break records. And the hilarious mm -hmm. thing was like, we were all there and we're all pulling out our costumes, showing the adjudicator and this, I, I got to pump my own tires here. I pulled the flash costume out of the bag and a couple guys dressed as Superman just went, damn it. Because they knew, they knew who it was. They're like, <laughs> he's it. back. I was they like, that's it. right. They're like, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. They're like, what are you? Trey, like, Trey, you he pulls it out. It is theme music. 
there's theme music in the background <laughs> as he's pulling it out, right? <laughs> I know, but like it was like a reveal because you have no idea who you were, and then you pull yeah, it out. Yeah, exactly. Because it's like it's over my face, right? So you couldn't see. But it's funny. They're like, "Oh, like, yep, oh man, you can't tell." You're, you're like, "You're running the full, right?" I was like, "No, I'm running the half." They're like, "Damn it, so are we?" I was like, "Sorry, boys." Yeah, even Not today, even worse. <laughs> but you know, the other reason why you make it more worthy, so. There's two things. So the first thing is the fact that you did it in record time, not just like, oh, I ran the costume. Because you could have been in the you know regular folks pack and then that would have been like the end of the race and not much people are paying attention. But for you to do it with the numbers. Also, the charitable component and raising that much money, that's another reason why the profile is there. So that, that's why I love the fact that this is such a, a feel-good story. And you know, some of that might be missed you know, uh, without having a conversation right now to be able to show that there is a, a full-blown um, team that's behind just the record itself and not just, I just wanted to be um, wearing a, a costume and breaking a record, but the fact that you guys raised over 30 grand in the last charity event for the half anyways, huge. Yeah, is, was, uh, substantial. Cool. Yep. That was very cool. And in 2012, when I did the full, um, so my, uh, so no, 2011, when I did the full and my buddy came up, the English guy to run, Mm-hmm. Like, yes, it was very cool. I think it changed things for people watching that I wasn't just some guy doing the 5K and I was going to peel off. I wasn't yeah. doing the half and I was going to peel off. At 35K, I was there. And going through the water station at 35K, dressed as the Flash in 20th, people were going bananas. It was yeah. hilarious. Yeah. Like, And the thing is, like, you know, in, in Scotiabank, there's a lot of, like, out and backs. And so the people that are ahead of you, like they're on their way back coming up Cherry Street or whatever it is. So you can see people. So my buddy who was running came up to run on the English team. He's like, I kept seeing you because like you're running pretty fast. And like he's running his ass off. I think he ran 221. But he's like, I couldn't shake you. And I could see my buddy like running in a flash costume. And I was like trying to focus. And, like there you are. I'm at 37K mm-hmm. and you're like not too far back in your costumes. It was hilarious. Every time he saw me, he's like, that's, awesome. that's my friend. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And he dared you. I'm sure you had a lot of kudos after that. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I got to hang out with him and the English team afterwards. And they're like, it was funny, like they all ran really well. And like they ran their hearts out and they were recovering. And then like I show up at like the hotel after and like, this is the guy dressed as the Flash. And like I was the center of attention. It was hilarious. Like they're all like legit racing, like ran train the whole year. And like this guy showed up and it was so funny. But as I said, it was a fast time. It wasn't just like because you dressed up because there's other people that wasn't noteworthy. They were they were only known for the fact that they dressed up. Is it that the costume is retired now or it's in your, is there a bat cave? Like that's what I want to know where it's just like, okay, well, I have it in the corner. Maybe there's something that will need to be a charity um, component that might come back. And um, yeah, you don't have to reveal too much, but we want to know if there's something that we might just see you flash by. If we even get to see you because you're going so fast. Nice. So I'll tell you, like, I'm deeply involved in uh, uh, not-for-profit right now from a personal level. Mm-hmm. And the Flash costume is in a box somewhere. It exists. It's alive and well. You never know. So, though, I mean, those are two pieces of the puzzle. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm going to leave it know. at that. Yeah. I'm going to leave okay. it at that. That's all right. That's all right. We might not get to see it because it'd be passing by so fast. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Listen, man, there's no crime on the streets, so maybe this is what's going on. (laughs) There's no crime on the streets. (laughs) There's no marathon. You just wipe up the whole thing. Um, But yeah, cool. 
And then is there anything else that um, that highlight highlight that's happening apart from the charity component that you can't give too much away about um, that you have you're looking forward to in this coming year? Like from a running perspective, yeah, obviously. Ah, uh, so from a running perspective, but also uh, mainly your coaching um, uh, services itself, because you have so much credibility from the, your previous experience, but also your career in general. And uh, I believe a lot of individuals in a running community uh, could use that service. For sure, yeah. Um, from like my my own personal running perspective, so my lens right now is like I ran like a lot of people like a ton of miles when like I was younger, just like on the sidewalks, like in, in Troy, it's chicken farming out there. So even when you go run out in the country, it's not dirt roads, like it's fully paved because it's big trucks. Mm. Right. So I spent a, like, a, spent a lot of miles on hard surfaces and like, I'm pretty banged up from that. And I have been for a while. Uh, so I've got like my hips in rough shape. Um, and I've been working for, three years or so to get to a place where I can just like run like regularly without even thinking about aches and pains and, and my calf's going to cramp and, and all this other stuff. So right now, you know, I've been working, I've essentially been working with like a team of people that are helping me get back to a good place and running. Um, Nate's one of them over at athletes care. I think you guys know Nate. He's amazing. Oh yeah. Um, and, a, and a couple of other guys, that have been helping me with all this like special testing that I'm doing to make sure that my muscles are firing in the right way. So I'm on a good trajectory right now of running consistently without having anything too serious happen. So, you know, having competed so much in the past and having like had all those experience, I'm in a place now where like every run I get to do uh, is one less that I'm going to get to do. I think there's uh, you know, I don't have very many runs left. So I'm appreciating every single one and my, my mindset about, about every time I get out there, whatever I'm doing, if it's a workout or a run or a run with a group or whatever it is, uh, I, I'm trying to cherish every step because I think I put myself through a lot and I'm kind of paying for it now. So I'm lucky to be able to get out there and, and run at any level. I, I would love to compete again at whatever level I could. And if I can, I will. And if I can strap on the flash costume, I probably would. Um, so that's what I'm working towards from my own running. Coaching wise, really excited about where coachday.com is going. So um, when the pandemic hit in March, I was working in sportswear, a small sportswear company, Canadian company that just got crushed because of the pandemic. We sell soccer uniforms, right? All the seasons shut down. No one's playing. Um, Everyone got laid off. I got laid off. But you know what? Like, thankfully, I, I had savings. I have a great support system. Like, there wasn't one second where I was worried. You know what I mean? Which I think I'm really fortunate to be in that situation and I took that time to put together this this coaching business which is something I'd want wanted to do forever but never like made the time to set it up properly to figure out how I want to market myself to think about what my product's going to be and how I'm going to approach it and who I want to work with and all that sort of stuff I started a new job amazing new job in December this past year um big upgrade for me but yeah, thank you. And but was able to in the meantime set this up and and get the ball rolling. So all the heavy lifting I got done with the free time that I had, got in pretty good shape again, so that I could legitimately dem- demonstrate some stuff on Instagram. Uh, and I'm keeping that going. Yeah, and uh, I love yeah, this. <laughs> appreciate that. Yeah, the coaching business is going really well. It's just, it's exactly what I want it to be. It's like a slow burn. It's it's I'm slowly getting more and more. Um, 
runners that I'm working with. I think um, the uh, I'm attracting the type of runners that I want to work with. Interestingly, like a lot of beginners, um, people just starting to get into the sport. Some people super talented. Some people you know looking to stay fit. Um, and it's a it's a great cross section of people. Um, so that's going really well. Um, yeah, I think uh, as things start to warm up, it's spring. People are starting to think more about running. Um, I think it's going to keep picking up even more. And that coaching thing is surprisingly like international too. Like I get a lot of attention uh, in the UK. I just signed a guy in Qatar. Actually, I'm coaching. He's in uh, in Doha right now, which is amazing. So yeah, I mean, every day something new happens. It's really interesting. I'm happy that I've got a lot of people's attention on social media. I'm glad that people like what I'm putting out there. Um, so that's continuing to grow. Uh, I think I've got a pretty good handle on, uh, on, on content people want to see. And uh, I'm making sure to, to you know, keep the, the coaching program um, as tight as possible, taking a lot of feedback and making sure I'm the product that I'm providing is, is as good as it can be. It's a little, I think it's a little different than um, other stuff that's out there, which is intentional. I'd say it's very different. What I really love is the, the drone, the use of the drone and the creativity and just walking through people, like the different exercises and stretches and it's very engaging. And uh, yeah. And that's yeah. free stuff. Right? It's, free it's stuff. just, just provided. And, 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 we're thankful for even being able to have content like that. Cause usually yep. when I see content like that, it's um, from Denmark, it's from somewhere else, mm. but it's, it's almost as if you may not follow it to the T, but you see someone done a warm up, and you're like, oh, I'm just going to follow what uh, coach they did. Cause that's literally what you're doing and showing it proper yep. and how to do it. Cause you know, we might even go on Instagram and look it up, but really I could just like, actually uh, market and then it's saved and I could go look at it later on. It's hard to to tell the interaction that someone's actually seen it, but just so you know, there are individuals seeing the stuff and, and uh, putting it to good use. They may not comment or like, but yeah. you see it, you know? I know they are sometimes like, <laughs> I know they are sometimes I get more saves than I get likes yes. on the post. So like, I know people are going back. Right now. Using it. Uh, yep. But that's engagement. And, and too, it's cool. Right? Like I, a hundred percent. Yeah. And like, I, yeah, I wanted it to do well, so I, I modeled it off of a couple other runners that I followed. I think it's rare for a runner to be able to take people on their journey with them, to take you on a run with you. You know, sure, you sit the camera down and run by, like that's one thing. But uh, if, if, you know, you can come with me, I think that's a, a different story. Absolutely. You can see the form and stuff like that, but I'm sure you do those solo and that's not easy. <laughs> yeah. And the I set up. The, uh, like all the content, I, it, I, I see it as like, yes, it's useful to a degree, but I see it as puzzle pieces mm-hmm. and it yeah. would take a really good coach to help you build the puzzle. And that's what I'm offering. Done. And in terms of like how I get the content, this drone, I'm not going to tell you which drone it is because I'm trying to get them to, trying to get them to help me out a little bit because yeah, everyone's don't asking give it me. Away. Right? No, don't <laughs> give it away. I, I think if you, um, so happens that the drone comes in the, the shot you just put a tape on it because they should sponsor you you know um I, the best one i've seen out there is a sky deal but it's too expensive anyhow yeah but, uh, this, dr- this drone follows so good, it, good. it follows okay, you like crazy yeah. so because it doesn't work very well if you have some drone drone types yeah i had a drone before i destroyed it it's on instagram you can <laughs> see me you can see the footage of me flying my drone into a tree and then i got a new one so oh my gosh yeah it's one of the reels it flies up into the branches it's hilarious so. 
and this is great and it's and the great content uh it's it's really engaging especially now with people looking for motivation and different ways mm-hmm. to stay active mm-hmm. and and here you are putting out this this great contact which is not only content which is not only riveting uh because people are like oh this is so cool but you know you're also like walking them through something and exercise yes. i i really love it so what uh yeah, hearing that thanks yeah what's so uh, what's the the rest of the year look like for you the rest of this year where are we right now we're in march yeah um so uh, super lucky so my new job i work at the the princess market cancer foundation Amazing. Oh. um and uh you guys familiar with uh the ride to conquer cancer events yes yes so i helped to manage the ride oh that's um, yeah so great team at the foundation uh so professionally like we're working towards putting on that event in june um i'm gonna be riding great cross training opportunities so anyone else who wants to to ride obviously you should it's a really great cause um so and that's when uh, they shut down the dvp right yeah it's not going to be that this year because we don't know if things are going to be opened up again june 12th is when the event goes on but yeah it's usually you ride to hamilton then you ride to niagara falls it's like up to six thousand people uh the event does, usually does 20 million fundraising every year so uh biggest athletic fundraiser in canada every year so it's a big deal um I'm we're putting it on yeah, we're putting it on in a bit of a different state this summer. So professionally gearing up to make that happen. Um, again, coaching, like I said, is is starting to tick up. I'm making sure that everything I'm doing, I, like, I'm never going to, what I'm not going to do is take on a, a huge bunch of people because that's not what my program is about. Like everyone that I work with is full access. We're on WhatsApp daily, all the time. It's day-to-day coaching through like online, like you've password access to your own site, which has everything. All that stuff you're seeing on Instagram is what you get catered to you when you sign up. Um, mm-hmm. So those are, those are starting to tick up. Uh, it's going really well. My hope is to get to a number of athletes where if there's crossover in training and ability, that we can meet here and there when it's safe to do so. Like three people here, four people there, two doing the same workout all in and around yep. the city for those who are local. But I'm not like, this isn't going to be a hundred athletes, 80 athletes. That's, that's not what it is for me as a coach. Like I'm either your coach or I'm not your coach. If you can't access me hundred percent of the time, then I don't think I'm your coach because it's a huge commitment that people are super passionate about getting better at the sport and, and the role it plays in their lives. And, I'm either all in or I'm not. So that that's my perspective on, on working with other athletes. Um, it's not a run club. Uh, it's not like a, a, a big group. It's very different. You know, it's, you're a professional, you've got a busy life. We're going to work around um, your professional life. We're going to look at your goals specifically. We're going to apply the correct physiology to your experience. And it's very tailored and it changes from week to week. So it evolves as you do, uh, and as most running programs should like most of the, so I'll just go back to like the, the, the drills and stuff that you guys are seeing. That's all, uh, a product of my experience coaching distance in Alabama in a sprinter's environment. So we'd be on the track with like way more sprinters than there are distance runners on the track. And I remember thinking like, we work so much harder than these guys, you know, like we're putting in miles, we're doing mile repeats, we're doing 20 quarters, whatever it is, it's hard. And they're doing like the odd 300 meter pickup. They're skipping and bounding around. And I was just like, what is this practice? Like, you know, obviously I get it, but I I wouldn't say look down on them, but it's like, okay, we're, we're putting in the work over here. But I got definitely wrangled in by our, our like director of track. She was 
she coached the sprinters, uh, the multis, the hurdlers, and that is so technical. And she had such a wealth of experience developing proper technique, uh, functional running, loaded muscles, and building drills and programs to improve that. It was so impressive to work with someone with such a deep, like rich history of experience in that zone. So that's where all that comes from. Like I, I basically, I mean, I, everything that I'm doing, most of it, I got from her. So that's, that's why that emphasis is there when you see it online or if, uh, if I'm going to coach you. And evidently there was like um, results from that, uh, you know, when your early career, there were results when you uh, all became fifth place. I never had that before. hundred percent. Yeah, totally. Totally. This whole conversation has been truly, truly riveting. And just for the record, we're not editing out that story. That story just <laughs> was like a white knuckler. And just, you know, going through kind of your experiences, your journey growing up and being in Alabama and Troy and, you know, making it back to Toronto, which, you know, uh, I know you had other things planned, but we're very lucky to have you in Toronto uh, coaching Thank here. You. And your experience and, and the world records, oh my goodness, there's so much going on. So we... Uh, we, we learn a lot and we're, we're very fortunate to be able to sit down with you. And hopefully when we get to, uh, we post those uh, videos on reels, be able to see the Guinness record and the flash costume behind you. Uh, <laughs> so that'll be, that's going to be great. So seriously, coach day, it's been, uh, it's been absolute, an absolute treat getting to know you better and, uh, and learning about your, yep. your story. So I appreciate it. I feel like, I feel like I ranted the whole time. So thanks for listening. <laughs> it's oh, great no, to man. meet you guys too. The, the, the more you say, the more we learn from you. And uh, you know, regardless if it might change. But um, with that being said, this is the Longest Stride Podcast. Peace.